0: to jump right in this tonight, okay? So tonight, we're going to discuss the period of expectations. Why expectations? Well, as Bob showed us last week, the redemptive story is one story with two parts, and they are necessarily connected. Part one introduced the divine covenants. The covenant concept is a central, unifying theme of scripture establishing and defining God's relationship to human beings in all ages. Despite their differences, there's a structural unity which unifies the whole of Scripture. Covenants are one of the mechanisms that connect the whole story. Each successive covenant grows out of and depends upon the previous one. Let's just highlight a few to see what we're talking about. God's covenant with Abraham. God has created an historic lineage through which the promised seed will come. The one who will bless all nations. The second covenant is the Mosaic covenant. Why was that established? Because God remembered his covenant with Abraham. By delivering Abraham's descendants from Egypt and forming them into a nation and establishing the law, we realize that that humanity is not able to live up to the covenant of works. So a savior, this seed is needed. Now once Israel is a nation, the monarchy is established. From that comes the Davidic covenant that provided the divine monarchy through which God will govern his redeemed people through all of eternity. Now last year on our timeline, there were many points under this covenant I wanna talk about too quickly. One was, it's an everlasting throne. The second, it's an everlasting kingdom. The period of expectations begins in 330 BC. There has not been an heir of David on the throne or a nation of Israel since 586 BC. So it's been 150 years. So clearly, this has not been fulfilled. Finally, The new covenant brings the covenant of grace to its full completion with the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, who is the promised seed of the covenant of grace, the one promised through Abraham. But our story isn't there yet. The Old Testament covenants are not fulfilled yet. Therefore, we find ourselves in the story in the period of expectations. Before we leave covenants, let's define them. A covenant is an oath-based promise, whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. Our story has repeatedly shown us God is at one party, because our story has repeatedly shown us we're constant covenant breakers. We cannot keep a covenant. So we can be assured of the fulfillment of the covenants of the Old Testament because of who bears the responsibility to fulfill them. Therefore, our expectations are well-placed and we can say with certitude, we are confidently awaiting the fulfillment of the story, the fulfillment of all its promises. Now there's another reason we can speak with this kind of conviction. True, we speak in faith because we are a people of faith but our redemptive story has documented what God has done so we have a history that backs our belief. A pattern has been established. God does what he says he's going to do. It's the benefit of knowing the story. Now, our main idea tonight is God is sovereign over history and his divine purpose will be accomplished. Scripture takes us through the Babylonian exile which entailed the destruction of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem to the period of restoration, when the temple was rebuilt, worship is restored to the temple, and the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt. These events of the restoration occur under Persian rule. The historical books of the Old Testament end with Esther, when Persia is still in power. But as we continue in the Old Testament, do you remember we leave the historical books and we go to the instructional books? We come upon the poetry and the prophets. It's the prophets who give us insight into the period of the intertestamental or expectations, which brings us to our pre-work, the book of Daniel. What's the context of Daniel? Babylonian exile. Nebuchadnezzar is the king and Daniel, an Israelite, is among those who are captured and deported to Babylon. In chapter two, the king is disturbed because of a troubling vision in a dream. He calls magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers to tell him not just what the dream means, but he wants them to tell them the content of his dream. They can't do this, so the king orders the execution of all of the wise men in the kingdom. Think about this, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers. They had two resources, themselves and their idols. And remember what we talked about last time? Basically, that's really one source of power because as we discussed, our idols are only as powerful as we are. That's all they had. So we pick up the story in chapter two, verses 14 to 23. We are going to do a lot of Bible reading tonight. It's a Bible course, so we're gonna be reading a lot of scripture. There's a couple of floating mics. Please don't be shy. There's a lot of opportunity to read. So tonight, Carrie's gonna start us with a nice long passage, which is from our homework, and that's Daniel 2, 14 to 23.
1: When Ariach, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, Why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home, and his friends Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Azariah, he told them what happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Then Daniel went in to see Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream.
0: Thank you, Carrie. Let's pause here because this passage is worth discussing. One of the objectives of the academy is to become better disciples. Daniel has given the church a model to follow while we are still in the world. Notice what he does in verse 14. He approaches non-believers with wisdom and discretion. Or we can say wisdom and tact. This is our responsibility to develop these traits as we share Christ and the gospel with others. We can't be that trigger person who knows what we believe and that's all that matters. No, that's not the mission of the church. This is not what our king has asked us to to do. Wisdom and tact, discretion, require knowledge, patience, self-control, love, gentleness, kindness, joy. Do these traits sound familiar to anybody? The fruit of the Spirit, indeed. And the Holy Spirit lives in us to produce these traits. The Holy Spirit knows we're people of mission, right? So let's take a look what Daniel did. He observed and he went to the outsiders, or those that did not believe, with wisdom and discretion intact. Now, in verses 16 and 17, look what he does. Daniel knew his limitations. But he also knew the one who does not have limitations. So he sought out friends. Did you recognize who they were? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? That was simply their Hebrew names. And he asked them to pray with him. That's what he does before he does anything. And then upon receiving his answer, Before going to the king, okay, excuse me for just a second. Before going to the king, before going to his prayer partners, Daniel praised God. Now, verses 18 to 23 that we looked at in chapter 2, this prayer of thanksgiving that Daniel prays is sometimes called Daniel's psalm. Note that Daniel acknowledges who was sovereign when he says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. Daniel says this, even though his circumstances don't support his faith. Remember, Daniel wasn't born in a ca- captivity. He was part of a captured generation and he will remain in captivity for the rest of his life. He never goes back to Jerusalem. And yet, he still acknowledges God is sovereign over history and his divine purposes will be accomplished. Time for you to talk. Time for our first discussion question. And it comes from our pre-work in our Bible study book. And the questions are on page 17 and 18, number one at the bottom of page 17, and number two at the top of page 18. And what is here is exactly what's in your book. So take about 10 minutes or so to give you a chance to discuss what you read this week, what you thought about it, what's going on, and then we'll get back together. Well, thank you very much. I know I have to stop these wonderful conversations. I'm so sorry, but I thank you so much. Before we move on, does anybody want to share a time in your own personal life when you just didn't understand what God was doing. But then after the fact, it all became clear. I know it's a big room and we just started the semester, but if the Holy Spirit is prompting any of you, we'd love to share. Hear it.
2: Um, my whole life, really, from probably 13 you know, on, I knew there was something wrong with me. And, it never looked like there was something wrong with me because I looked like I had it all together. But I knew there was something in me that didn't work right. And a lot of things, you know, were impacted by that, but I was 65 when I found out I'm bipolar. And that's a lot of years to live, not knowing what's wrong. And I was seeing a psychiatrist for meds, and I saw, you know, therapists through the years, and there were a lot of things in my past that needed to get worked through. But that particular little piece of information would have helped so much in the beginning, especially with medication that's available now. But so that's a long wait. That's all. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate that. Well, after the Lord
0: reveals the king's dream and its meaning to Daniel, he meets with the king. Daniel tells the king the content of his dream, and this is the first part. He saw a great image, bright and frightening. The head was made of pure gold, the chest and arms of silver, a belly and thigh thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. When Daniel tells the king, you are the head of gold, he uses this opportunity to tell the same king only because God ordained it. Would somebody please read Daniel 2.37?
3: Sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Think about what we learned. This king had the authority to kill anyone he wanted for any reason. Daniel knows this firsthand, yet he boldly, and noticed with wisdom and discretion, tells the king, all of this this is from my God, the true God. And scripture confirms what Daniel is saying because the prophet Habakkuk tells us it was God's plan for Babylon to defeat Judah. We have some hard scriptures to take a look at now. Who would like to read Habakkuk's prophecy? This is what the Lord says. Yes, thank you.
4: Babylonians to be a new power on the world scene. They are a cruel and violent nation Who will march across the world and conquer it. They are notorious for their cruelty. They do as they like and no one can stop them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength as their God."
0: And how does Habakkuk respond to that? Would you mind reading the next portion? Thank you.
4: O Lord my God, my Holy One, You who are eternal, Is your plan in all of this to wipe us out? Surely not. O Lord, our rock, you have decreed the rise of these Babylonians to punish and correct us for our terrible sins. You are perfectly just in this. But will you, who cannot allow sin in any form, stand idly by while they swallow us up? Should you be silent while the wicked destroy the people who are more righteous than they?
0: Thank you. Here's the thing. God not only allowed the exile, he orchestrated it. At the same time, there's another prophet who's already sharing the word of restoration. Can somebody please read that for us? And how will God accomplish this? Another prophet tells us, Isaiah, the Medes are going to join the Persians and form a great empire. Would somebody read this prophecy?
4: Stir up the Medes against Babylon, and no amount of silver or gold will buy them off. Babylon, the most glorious of kingdoms, the flower of Chaldean culture, will be devastated like Sodom and Gomorrah when God destroyed them. Babylon will never rise again, his will howl in its fortresses, and jackals will make their dens in its palaces. Babylon's days are numbered. Its time of destruction will soon arrive.
0: Thank you. All three prophets are speaking before the event, and then the event is recorded in the historical book, Second Chronicles. Who would like to read this passage? So this is the restoration. The temple is rebuilt, worship is restored, and the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. So the biblical record takes us through the two nations, two of the four, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Babylon, the head of gold, and Persia, the chest and arms of silver. Time for another question. This is not from your homework. Why do you think God allowed, orchestrated, the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem? And how is God's divine purpose being fulfilled when his people are in exile in a foreign kingdom? What do you think? Because that's what happened.
5: Thank you so much for taking the time to discuss the questions.
0: Does anybody want to share their thoughts on why they think this happened? Any ideas?
5: Okay.
0: Yes. 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 When Jesus arrives, his story can, can be spread about his followers. Thank you, Carrie. Wonderful. Good night. She fu- she, excellent. <laughs> 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 Any other thoughts? Thank you. Think about this. God also created the nation of Israel, and they were to be a model and a light to all the other nations. But instead, they mimicked the nations. Idolatry became pervasive. God's people reached the point where they were sacrificing their own children to the idols. In the New Testament, Jesus calls that place Gehenna or hell. Gehenna or hell. That's how Jesus saw it. He had repeatedly and graciously warned him over the centuries through his prophets, but they didn't turn back to him. The exile was God's judgment to correct the national problem of idolatry. And it worked. Because idolatry never became a national problem again. Remember that definition earlier tonight of covenant? An oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specific way? God's covenant with Abraham. God is creating the historic lineage through which the promised seed would come. The seed hasn't come yet, so idolatry has to be dealt with because the seed is coming through this line of people, and the exile proved to be very effective. It worked. Remember our main idea? God is sovereign over history, and his divine purpose will be accomplished. Now, we're now ready to leave the biblical record and we're going to go into the intertestamental period, which is still a continuation of the king's dream. My suggestion here is don't worry about every detail that I'm showing tonight because if you want, it it is in, if you didn't have a chance, it's nicely uh, expounded in this book. But what I would like to do tonight is give you the big picture of events to get an idea of the world into which the Messiah entered, thank you, Carrie, Okay, as well as what's going on with God's people, the Israelites. The Persians will be defeated by the Greeks, the third kingdom in the king's dream, the belly and thighs of bronze. Alexander the Great is a brilliant general. He defeats the Persians, it's a huge empire, but he dies young and he has no heirs. So he is succeeded by four generals who will fight until two are left. Ptolemy from Egypt and Seleucus from Syria. Let's take our our timeline. Let's make our tool work for us because when we know this timeline, we are gonna look so smart to people, it'll be great. So, the first bullet point that we see is the Greek world and that's Alexander. Still within the Greek world, we come up to this second bullet point and this is um, God, Israel suffers the wars of Alexander's successors, the four generals. The first kingdom we see is from 300 to 200 BC, the Ptolemaic rule. One of the rulers, Ptolemy II, sponsors the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. Ptolemy II learns of the worth of the Bible, and he wants it to be translated into Greek. He sends his request to the high priest in Jerusalem, who will choose six learned men from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 72 men travel to Egypt. Now Ptolemy vets them first, and when he recognizes they're legit, he then allows them to proceed with the translation. This translation is known as the Septuagint, which is Latin for 70, and sometimes it's notated as LXX, the Roman. Numeral for 70. Have you ever seen it It in maybe a resource? Have you ever seen it in a Bible? What they're telling you is is they're not looking at the Hebrew text, they're taking the quote from the Septuagint or the Greek text. This is the first large-scale translation project in the ancient world, and it's scripture. In the ancient world, Greek culture was formidable it remained dominant even when the next empire Rome will take over because that world continued to be known as the Greco-Roman world or culture. The New Testament will be written in Greek. Many of the early church fathers who fleshed out the original Christian theology and doctrine wrote in New Greek. Some of the New Testament writers were quoting the Septuagint not the uh, Hebrew Bible. This version made the Old Testament more available in the early days of the church. It also helped to facilitate the spread of Christianity since the scriptures were now available in the common language. It was a huge undertaking. And as Kerry said, it was setting things up. So let's continue with our timeline. We go now under our second bullet, the the Seleucid rule over uh, Israel. Antiochus III defeats the Ptolemies and now Israel is under Syrian rule within the Greek Empire. Under him, the Israelites can continue their way of life and they are allowed to remain obedient to the law. But unfortunately, under the reign of his successor, his brother, Antiochus IV, it's a time of terror for the Israelites. See he was forcing Hellenization onto the Jews. What is Hellenization? That's the name of the Greek culture. So they were trying to Hellenize them, turn them into Greeks. They, he wanted them to abandon their religion and culture and be dominated by the Greek culture. Biblical Jewish religion is outlawed. It's outlawed. The temple is plundered. He prohibits sacrifices, circumcision, and Sabbath observation, all of the things that set God's people apart and anyone who refuses is put to death. There's a priest, a Jewish priest named Mattathias. An agent of the king, Antiochus IV, urges Mattathias, a priest, to offer pagan sacrifices, and he refuses. When another Jew offers to do this, Mattathias kills him. He kills the king's agent. He demolishes the altar, and he flees to the mountains with his five sons accompanied by other sympathizers. This is known as the Maccabean Revolt, which occurs under the leadership of this family, the Mattathias family, and it occurs in 167 BC. This family is known as the Hasmoneans. That name comes from one of their ancestors, but they also have a nickname. They're known as the Maccabees. Maccabeus means the hammer. It's the name given to one of the five sons, Judas. Judas Maccabeus. What's all this about? Why do we care? Because Judas Maccabeus, the hammer, defeats Antiochus IV. Three years later, in December of 164 BC, the temple is rededicated to the Lord. Worship is established and restored. And this is remembered today as the Feast of Hanukkah. A couple years later, Judas is killed in battle and his brothers, Jonathan, then Simon, will succeed him. Simon gained independence from the Seleucid throne. This is a big deal. The last time the Israelites experienced any freedom from a foreign power was before the exile 400 plus years ago. Simon takes over religious, military, and political leadership. This is not received well by the Israelites because only the Messiah should hold all three offices, no one man. Now, note on your timeline that the Seleucid Empire only goes from 198 to 42. And if you drop down to the fourth bullet point, you'll see Israel is humbled by the return of Roman rule in 63. So what's going on between 142 and 63? the period of Hasmonean rule. Why is this important? We'll see what happens here. During this time, Israel's struggles are internal. They're not coming from a world power causing strife externally, they're coming internally. And what happens when there's internal strife? Usually there's division. So the first faction that will break away is the religious faction who themselves will break into two groups, two religious groups. You might be familiar with this one. This is the beginning of the Pharisees. And this is the group that devotes themselves to the study of the law. The other group, the Essenes, were a strict separatist sect, some of whom produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. Scholars think that perhaps John the Baptist was an Essene. Now the other group, the one they split from, the aristocracy, and the politically-minded group? Who do you think they became? The Sadducees. Great, exactly. So do you see what's going on in this period? The scriptures are being translated into the common language. The Essenes produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been established. Things are setting up for the coming Messiah. And this will continue until 63 B.C., when Israel will be humbled by Roman rule, the fourth kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's image, described by iron and feet of iron and clay. Now next week, Neil Carmichael will teach, and he is going to talk all about the political climate of the New Testament in Rome. But before you leave this, let's remember, God is sovereign over history, and his divine purpose will be accomplished. So we're going to take a shift right now We're gonna shift from the earthly kingdoms in the vision and we're gonna go to the heavenly kingdom. And I have another question. How would you explain what the kingdom of God is to a new believer? How would you explain that concept? Now, the questions that are here, they're just prompts. If you don't have to answer them all, just maybe ways to possibly, I wanna know how you're gonna answer that question. Have a believer They've been to church with you. The whole sermon was on the kingdom of God. You go to breakfast and they're like, "What? what is that? What is the kingdom of God? You're wrong. I can't wait to hear your answers. <laughs> I'm going to write them down. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. I'm, I'm curious, did any table get down to one sentence on how to explain what the kingdom of heaven is? No. Do you feel like after your conversation, you know so much more about it now than you, than you did before? Is anybody more confused? You know, it's something we talk about all the time. And then when somebody says, what is it? We can't answer, right? So let's see how we can unpack this. Does anybody want to share anything, any revelation or what, that they talked about? Internal kingdom. Yes. Okay, so we're going to continue. Thank you, thank you, Carl. We're going to hold on to that. We're going to continue with the king's dream and his vision, and he sees one more kingdom. So I need somebody who wants to read this passage of Scripture. This is what was in the dream. Thank you.
6: But, but as you watched, excuse me, a rock was cut from a mountain by supernatural means. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue collapsed into a heap of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. The pieces were crushed as small as chaff, how do you say that? Chaff, 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 on a mm-hmm. threshing floor, and the wind blew them all away without a trace. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth.
0: Thank you. Yep. And would you be willing to read now the interpretation? Sure. <laughs> Thank you.
6: During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No one will ever conquer it. It will shatter all these kingdoms into nothingness, but it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain by the supernatural means, crushing to dust the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has shown your majesty what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain.
0: Thank you. So let's go back to our timeline. The last bullet point under expectations are the Old Testament promises. There are 10 listed. Now I have them up here. This is exactly what's on your timeline. We're gonna go back to a discussion question pretty quickly this time. My next question is, do you think that all of these expectations have been fulfilled since Jesus has already come. I'm not talking about the intertestamental period, I'm talking about today. Okay, we're after the coming of the Messiah, right? So do you think all 10 of these have been fulfilled? If not, which ones do you think have been fulfilled and which ones are not yet fulfilled? We are going to use this tool tonight. So so think about this or talk about this, take some time, take another 10 minutes, look them over, and then what we'll do when we're finished is we'll go through them. Okay, let's do this. Let's go over this these particular promises together and let's see what we've come up with. Now remember, we're not talking about the intertestamental period in this point. We're talking about as a people who lived after the first coming of Christ. That's how I want to take a look at these promises because that's just where we are, okay? So the first one is the kingdom of God as coming reign of God and to expound on that let's take a look at the scripture we were given and the Lord will will be king over all the earth on that day there will be one Lord and his name alone will be worshiped is that happening right now no. check okay number two The Royal Son of Man Vision. Isn't it wonderful that Scripture helps us answer our questions? Okay, so again on the timeline, Daniel 7, 13 through 14, that was from our homework. Who would like to read this Scripture and thinking, has the Royal Son of Man Vision been fulfilled? Who would like to read that?
3: As my vision continued that night, I saw someone who looked like a man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and royal power over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed.
0: Thank you. So. Uh- all the peoples of the world and nations obeying him right now?
3: No.
0: So has this been fulfilled? No. So three out of 10 so far. No, no, no. Okay.
7: Well, two.
0: Or to the first two. Okay, let's talk. Okay, what do you think? I think he has authority, honor, and power over all Yes, he does. That's true. The response, the response. You are right, Bill's right. He is who he says he is, regardless of our response. But what do you think? Yes, great point, thank you. Great great point, Beth, and we're going to expound on that. So that's, this is exactly why this is difficult, because we know, as his people, he is Lord. But look at, look at the fulfillment we're talking about. Has it been fully fulfilled? Okay, all right, so let's go to number three. Son of David restored on the throne. Liam, would you read the next scripture for us?
1: For the
7: time is coming, says the Lord, when I will place a righteous branch on King David's throne. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land.
0: Thank you, Liam. Is that happening right now? Is there a king of David on the throne? <laughs> well, when you think of fulfillment, what do you think? Not partial, but fulfillment. What do you think? Has that been fully realized? No. Because do you think God's going to partially fulfill these promises? Okay. The ones that you think are tough, I did too. Just so you know. I. I and this is exactly right. So we're going to continue. I thought we would go through this before we talk more about it, but no, great. How about atonement for sin? And where, where did that occur? An easy one. How about the new covenant? Has it been established? Who established it? How about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? Where, where do we see that in the scripture? Now here's another one. What about the blessing of Abraham to the nations? That's another one. But here's the scripture. Let's read this scripture and see if it enlightens us. Who would like to read that?
3: Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the
0: Thank you, Jeff. So yeah. is that happening right now? Is the gospel yeah. going out? Yeah. Yes. Hmm? On that. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're getting there, exactly, yes, okay. How about the resurrection? We're going to go with this in a minute. Beth set us up the way Carrie did, so we have some good setups here. Thank you, Beth. How about the resurrection of the dead? How about the final judgment of the world and evil? How about the new creation of the heavens? No, okay, great. So let's talk about the kingdom, okay? The kingdom of God is a central theme of Jesus preaching and teaching. And therefore, it's important to the church. So let's try to get a little bit more to the point where we can understand it and verbalize it because we talk about it within the body, but it doesn't mean anything outside of the body, right? Okay. All right, so, the establish- and you hit it, the establishment of the kingdom is directly tied to the two advents of Jesus Christ his two comings. Immediately prior to his first coming, like you all notice, John the Baptist announces, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Notice John the Baptist is a prophet. So of course he's going to call the people to repent, turn back to God. Why? Because he is announcing that the kingdom of heaven or God is imminent. When Jesus begins his public ministry, he declares the same thing. From that time, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In the first coming, Jesus established the reign of God. Currently, the kingdom is invisible and spiritual, but the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ, it has been established, so therefore a kingdom now exists. All of us who profess that Jesus Christ is our Savior, we also have this Lord and King. So presently, the kingdom of God exists as the reign of God, and the citizens now are those of us who call him Lord. So what does this mean? Well, I like the way this particular author put it. The kingdom of God means God is king and acts in history to bring history to a divinely directed goal. Tonight, we looked at history through the Old Testament record and then moved to an intertestamental period and we saw evidence of this statement. The author also writes, humanity's duty is not to bring the kingdom into existence, but to enter it by faith. And to pray that we may be enabled more and more to submit ourselves to the beneficent rule of God in every area of our lives. Who was not able to do that? Yes, and who were the first two? Adam and Eve. Think about this, they were in the sacred space. Look at their circumstances. They were recipients of God's lush provision, the beneficent God, they were in his presence and they still couldn't submit to God. Yes? The question I always go to was, wasn't it that they couldn't, or if they not I think the reason we're in this mess is because they wouldn't. Okay, great, thank you. So, our, is that all resolved? Thank you, great question. So, okay, so our, our author continues. The kingdom is not man-made. It's not, it's not man's upper climb to perfection the God breaking into human history, like he did it, the incarnation, to establish his reign and to advance his purposes. Our redemptive story is telling us God is creating a new sacred space like the pre-fall garden in which we can dwell with him forever. You know what the nuts and bolts of this is? We're putting our faith in a king to redeem this whole fallen mess. That's what we're looking for. Now, there's both a positive and a negative aspect to the kingdom. Salvation to those who accept it is the positive. Judgment to those who reject it is the negative. If we can accept or reject it, then it's being offered to us. He's not rejecting humanity. Humanity can reject the offer. Humanity can reject the king. But here's the thing. Here's the rub. Many of Jesus' parables and the prophecy of the Old Testament, right? For example, the parable of the wedding feast teaches us about a future consummation of the kingdom. We just discussed the Old Testament prophecies on our timeline. Some have been fulfilled, some are partially fulfilled, some are we're waiting to fulfill. The kingdom of God is a present as well as future reality. We are living in the tension, the church is living in the tension between the two comings. And you may have in some of your reading and you may have in some of your commentaries, because Paul alludes to this, the term might be the already and the not yet. And that's just another way of saying that. And even as citizens of the present kingdom, we too are waiting for its future consummation. We are waiting for the second coming when Jesus will establish the realm of God. And then it will be physical and visible when the work of redemption will be completed. And finally, existence will be as it should be. Could somebody please read this? This is what we'll see.
2: Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
0: Thank you. We look forward to this day in faith. So this is coming. Well, let's talk about the already, where we are now. Have you ever been to a large shopping center and you're looking for a particular store and you have no idea where it is on the property? So the first thing you do is you look for the map, right? And you're looking for a particular place, but you need to determine where you are to know where you're going. You're looking for the you are here indicator. It's an arrow, it's a dot. Why think Jesus did this for us in Luke 4? 18 to 20 In this passage this is the beginning of Jesus public ministry and he's teaching in the synagogue and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah Would somebody be willing to read this passage
3: okay, next one. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him.
0: Thank you. If we compare this verse to the Isaiah's prophecy, which is in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Jesus deliberately leaves out part of Isaiah 61, 2. It's the day of vengeance of our God. That's what he leaves out. He omits that. So I think Luke, proclaiming you the Lord's favor, the prophecy continues, but the scroll is rolled up in the synagogue. And I think what's happening is is Jesus is telling us this is our locator map. Where are we in this grand story? How do we know how to proceed or what to do unless we know where we are? I believe Jesus has told us we're in the year of the Lord's favor. And I think this points us to church, to our universal mission. I think it's a missional statement. We have the opportunity now to share Christ, the good news, because we're in the year of the Lord's favor when salvation can be offered to all. So our last discussion question has to do with our mission. I'm going to ask each table to list at least three action steps and how you can participate in the church's mission now. Okay, let's try to help each other out. We have a universal mission as the church. We have a king and lord. He's given us his commission. It's really not an option. So I'd love to hear some of the ideas because as we share our ideas, we're gonna help each other out. And if, and if you have a story of a successful outreach, share it. If you've tried something and it's worked, going on out, share it because we need to be thinking this way. We're the people of Jesus Christ who have a mission. Anyone like to share? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. All action. Thank you. Were you are you an English major? <laughs> yes. Think about that. Pray, obey, go. We hear the Lord in prayer, right? He takes us. To, excellent. Anyone else? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Say that again. Could you stand and say that nice and loud? Sharing
7: Jesus or preaching, reflecting God's love and rebuilding into one united
0: church. And that's obedience. Thank you. Thank you, Liam. Yes. Think about that. Our unity has effect. Look at John seventeen. So Jesus says, If they see us as one, then they'll know the Father has sent me. That's missional. Okay, great answers. Anyone else or anyone want to share an experience? Yes.
5: We, we talked about, you know, learning. You know, we're doing it here, learning and growing. Um, telling our story and, and living out in our lives what, how Jesus has changed us. And then when the opportunities come, taking the opportunity to share them. said that That's the hard one. Um, because God brings those. And it's being sensitive to them and being willing to. um, that that you can can live your good life and learn and grow all you want, but if you don't respond when the the person asks you a question or when the conversation just happens to lead that way, um, that's when you're like, oh, I missed it.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Carrie. In in true confession, it is easier. It is easier easier to think that you're doing something for the kingdom by your study, but you just keep filling and filling and filling. An activity. It's a lot harder to go. That's the truth, and I've been there. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. There
4: are people going to places to take the gospel that I will never get in my life. We can pray for them.
0: Yes. Excellent. There's missionaries and there's mobilizers. Great point. Thank you. Prayer and support. Excellent. It's part of the team. Yes. These are great ideas. Anyone else? Yes. You allow yourself to be interrupted. Um,
7: and that's not always easy because we all have our agenda. But I uh, just ask the Lord to
0: show you those times when you need to be interrupted and tell your story or listen to somebody else's story. Great observation. Thank you. Great point. Not just telling the story, but listening to others. Does anybody want to share a successful Opportunity or moment that you were given? Sure it's, I don't know.
5: I don't know what came of this. It was it was a moment, but it was a, it was successful in that I accepted the opportunity when it came. Um, but it was one of those lovely, awkward. You're on a plane, you know, have to talk to the person next to you because they're talking. Moments, and uh, I was in the middle seat, and the guy. That and it was, we were talking earlier about how new believers or people who are seeking always have like the deepest questions. Um, and I don't remember exactly how the conversation started or how we got there. But he's like, Oh, yeah, I was reading through the Bible and I got to like, right in the first chapter where it says, Let us make man in our image, why is it plural? And I was like, Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, we started talking, and then this was before the plane. You started talking the plane takes off and you know you can't hear one another so everything's quiet for a minute and the the thing that stands out to me about this moment this was quite a few years ago but um the thing that stands out to me about the moment is like how god shows up because i'm sitting there thinking okay how am i going to continue this conversation once we can hear each other again and the woman on the other side of me (laughs) leans over as we're taking off and goes i have a bible right here if you need one (laughs) (laughs)
0: That is great. And she's like literally praying
5: through
0: this entire conversation. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing. On that note, I, w- I have an opposite story. I, I was in a ministry and we were challenged to go out and do this. So I was in the middle seat and I opened up my Bible homework and the person on either side just talked over me. So I think that was a much better experience. Okay. Was not one of those God ordained moments, apparently. Yes. Anyone else? I know there's people in this room. I know that you've done things. You're not bragging. They're helping us when you share what God does in your life. He gets the glory. Anyone else? Any thoughts about this? I'll
7: share something. I just and I didn't share this with other people so I'm going to get it in a second ago, but one of my best friends um, grew up Catholic and left the church completely everything and she just wasn't thing, went a totally different route for a long time and there's three of us that were really tight and really close and so over the time I think I told you all this last time we kept texting her, talking to her just saying we're praying for you like my other friend and I would talk Jesus language on a group text if so exposed to it and that we all, I always pray for her always and so for her to come back to me four years ago, she got baptized, um, oh. and she works. She's like really involved in the church now, oh. and so it's just a really when that happens, it's really cool. I didn't do anything. Like it wasn't. I didn't know I was
0: doing it at the time. It was just living, you know,
7: the way you think a I don't know why it's a, thing but, <laughs> That's a big deal, but <laughs> it's just it's really cool when it comes full circle. Now she is so in love with Jesus. I mean, so in love with Jesus. And she was not. I mean, I can't even. Alyssa.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for That's sharing. About, that was prayer. Was a lot of prayer. prayer and obedience and going and showing the love of Jesus and living the life. Yes. All in action. And see, she didn't even think it was a big deal. And look what happened. Anyone else?
3: I'll, I'll share one with you that just uh, happened about three weeks ago, and it's, this was not planned out a little bit, uh, in that it led itself to, to continue. The sure, and I left uh, the church city morning, we ran down the Brick Top, a little spot at the bar, we're having brunch, having my chicken and waffles, and always skips there, and we're piddling around, and a guy yells across and says, hey, you're still doing the prison thing. So I started to say, yeah, they just let me out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and what I did, I, I got up and I walked around and as I got around the corner of the bar, around this way, it's a big rectangle bar, and you know, brick cups. And, and um, she said, I still have the little you gave us. And I said, great. I said, I hope you put it in an expensive frame because I gave it to you, it didn't cost anything. And, and so, as I came back around, I, uh, I we talked about the prison thing, which is a, literally a prison ministry concept that I'm working on with someone in walk back around and I handed this couple a little B that I had done, and it said something on it, bee, bee something. Anyway, I went back around and so he leans over a couple and says, she said, I love that, that caption It's one of my favorite songs and I said, well, I didn't write it for the song, you can look at She said, oh, I must have liked it. And so he said, Do you always paint? I said, it's her fault. She told me I smell like metal coming out of the blacksmith shop. And so he gets up and comes over and says, bring me blacksmith. And so he talks a few words. Um, and I said, yeah, it's hot sometimes. It works. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so we have set up a schedule in October for him to come to my house. Uh, that started a conversation between me and Carol. This one's got me into this circle that we were talking about here. A bit. And so Carol and her started having a conversation about recipes and found out that Carol who teaches cooking and she wants to come to this class, and I'm thinking, we'll oh, cool. builds up because it's one of those things where they cook and then Carol asks questions and it goes right to the heart of whatever, and so, uh, and he's, he says, you don't understand, I, I'm a builder and I work with wood, and I said, so you need to learn how to make creative table legs, Yes, how did you know? I said, So it's every place. <laughs> and so he's more like, I'm, I'm coming. And I said, Well I'm gonna invite So we said at the time in October that he's gonna come to my house and, and who knows where God will take that. So Well they also said, um, we live near your church and, and we
7: don't
3: like to go oh, so, to so. Well he said, Yeah, we don't go to church but we live close to that. That's how he <laughs> covered it. She said we should go to church He said we live close to there, we maybe about
0: Romans is the way to start too. So, no, the
3: whole thing came about. Uh, one of the words that we threw out here in that is that is enlarging your circle. Sort of mm, I
0: like that. And just getting out and seeing people that you don't normally see. Great
3: like, point. I think that's kind of where you have to go sometimes. But, and just hearing their stories where they're coming from. You know, they were he's a maker but she's, she to cook. and so you about people who so it a natural a
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. These are wonderful. They're practical. They're great things you are talking about. Anybody else want to share before we close? Yes. I, I have
7: a very simple example. My mom was visiting on the Labor Day weekend. I've been sharing with my mom ever since I've been a Christian which is you know, 40, 50 years. And she came to church when Chris was teaching on the I didn't see it, but my mom listened to the message. It was just nice, just a simple thing for her to come to church with us. She doesn't live in the area, it, was, it wasn't his in the area. But just encouraging for me to hear Chris
0: preach. Not, not Romans 1 Thank you so much. That is encouraging. Your ideas were great. I'd like to make one suggestion. When you say we talk about praying, I'm going to suggest that we pray for the heart of Paul. Ask God to give it to you, because for me, it, that's not my natural inclination. I have to ask the Lord to do that. Uh, to be poured out for the gospel, to have somebody find out and say, you know, they're, they're talking against you. They're, not, they're, they're, they're all self-gain. And Paul says, is the gospel being preached properly? Then I don't care. I want to be a bond slave, slave of Jesus Christ. So I would say pray specifically to have that heart of Paul. We are in the year of the Lord's favor for a reason. Remember our main idea? God is sovereign over history, and his divine purpose will be accomplished. And for some reason, he has chosen to include us in this mission. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the enthusiasm in this room. And Father, I thank you that you are our Lord and we are in the kingdom. We get to live in the reign of God now. And Father, we thank you that you want to include us in your mission, that you see us as, as worthy to even bring the story of your son to anybody. Father, we need you to do the work. We need you to give us that tenacious heart. We need you to help us to tell our stories and to be with wisdom intact. And we need you to provide those opportunities. And so, Father, we thank you in in advance because we're open and we're anticipating all that you will do. And, Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Please bring them home safely tonight. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.